so great for me to bring the word this morning to you. Um, I'm going to be speaking about the call of Jeremiah from Jeremiah 1 verse 5. And this, this verse kind of jumped out at us. We were at a pastor's fraternal and one of the pastors shared this text. And he said, I'm actually ministering on this this weekend. And we just spent some time sharing about it. And I have just felt there's so much life on what God did in the life of Jeremiah through God calling him. And I want to minister this. I want to speak this because, folks, I want to say, I don't think we would have been here today, um, Jen and I, us as a family, if it wasn't for a strong sense of the call of God. This church wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a strong sense of the call of God. I think have and walking in the, in a, in a, with a sense of God's calling is so significant. And it's not just for special folks. I believe every believer can have a strong sense of this is God's will for me. This is where I'm meant to be right now. And this is how and where God wants me to bring his kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. And to live from that place is so beautiful. The enemy, let me say on the other hand, is very aware how potent you are when you have a sense of this is God's will for me. I am at this university registered for this course because God opened the doors. He's provided. I'm in the center of God's will for me. You are dangerous. You are armed and dangerous. You are armed with a sense of the call and the purpose of God. The enemy hates it. Does he love the sense that you feel called? That you have a sense of purpose and, and a knowledge that, that you're walking in God's ways? He hates it. He hates it. And so I want to submit to you that because... Walking with a sense of purpose and, and destiny from God is so powerful for believers. The enemy is going after your calling. He wants you to doubt your calling. He wants you to walk away from your calling. And it's a tragedy. And so folks, just as we are going to be looking at the scripture from Jeremiah, where God calls him, folks, it's so sad when we may reach a point in our life where we say we're walking away from that calling. And folks, I just want to say the call of God is multifaceted. We're calling, we're looking here about the call of God when God calls Jeremiah to be a prophet. Now I want to say a prophet, we know him as the prophet, but he actually grew up in a family that were dedicated and consecrated to be priests. Um, they mention in scripture, it mentions the village that he grew up in, which was literally just three miles away from Jerusalem. And that village was designated for the priestly families to live. So from a little boy, he grew up knowing that he was going to be a priest. And then at the age of about 17, 18, this is when this call happened, what we're going to read here. When these words were spoken by the Lord to Jeremiah, he was about 17, 18 years old. And the Lord calls him out of the priestly line to be a prophet, which would have been a major thing in his life because he would have been groomed and trained his whole life. He knew, I'm going to be a priest one day. I'm going to follow in the footsteps of my daddy and I'm going to be a priest. And, and, and the reality is the life of a priest was very ordered. I mean, Moses had written down exactly what the priests would do, were to do. They had rosters worked out when they were on duty, when they were off. Um, they had teams. It was a very structured, very ordered, very kind of safe life. 
And so he grew up, I'm going to be a priest one day. And then when he's 17, 18, boom, the Lord speaks to him about being a prophet. And he turned his life upside down. Because the life of a prophet now, he basically traveled all around Israel, warning them about an impending invasion from the mighty nation of Babylon if they don't turn back to God. And, the, and Jeremiah is, is, I mean, he's quite unique. We're going to look at him. But um, just to say, his book, which is in the Bible called Jeremiah, is one of the longest books in the Old Testament. It's 52 chapters. The book of Jeremiah is longer than all 12 minor prophets. The books which we know as the minor prophets, which are the last 12 books of the Old Testament, Combined, if you put all those 12 little prophets put together next to Jeremiah, Jeremiah is even longer than that. So he's quite a significant dude in the Old Testament. But he basically was going around telling people, listen, turn back to God. Otherwise, these Babylonians are going to take over our nation and we are going to be taken to, Bab to Babylon, exile. We're going to be taken. And, and this is the thing. The sad thing is that the people didn't listen to him. How, how would you like that? That your calling in life is to tell people to turn back to God. And you look at this and nobody's turning back to God. How many of you think you may just question the call of God in your life? It's like, God, you called me to tell these people to turn back to you and they're not. I mean, I'm sure he wrestled with these words that God spoke to him in verse 5 yeah, so much over his years. And he ministered for, for over 40 years. And he ministered um, during a time that there were five different kings, starting with Joash, which was a good guy. Remember, Joash was eight years old, became king, and he discovered the word. And, he, and, and he, together with Jeremiah, they in, introduced major reforms in the nation. They cleared out the temple. They cut down all the places of Baal worship, etc., but the four kings after that were horrendous. And I mean, it must have been so hard to live in a time of decline and knowing that what you're warning about them is going to happen because they just won't listen. And so I'm, I'm painting the context a little bit of Jeremiah's life. And these are the words. These, this is the essence of the call of Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1 verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb... I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. I mean, those words, a prophet to the nations, would, must have rocked him. But I also just want to say, you know, I don't think Jeremiah saw these words fulfilled in his lifetime. Because he only ministered to, basically, the tribe of Judah. Israel had already been taken off into captivity many years before. He only ministered to the tribe of Judah. He actually never went to other nations. But we know today that his words that he wrote in the book of Jeremiah is preached all over the world because it's part of the Bible. And so he never saw the fulfillment of this promise. Folks, there are promises we get for God that, from God that we may not see in our lifetime. Why? Because you've poured into some other young person who just gets what God has shown you to impart into their lives and they take it to the nations. But folks, ultimately, folks, remember, God has a plan for the nations. Go and make disciples of nations. And so there are times that we have a strong sense of this is what God's called me to do, but it is bigger than your lifetime. Amen? Because we are called to invest in others. And so these words are so significant. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
And before you were born, I consecrated you. Folks, these words were to Jeremiah, but they have ministered to me so deeply and just personally. Folks, you are no mistake. I was speaking to somebody, Jenna, I was speaking to somebody recently who is expecting a baby out of wedlock. And it's always a difficult situation when that happens. And one of the things that I I just said to this person is said, you know, the enemy specializes in ministering rejection to people. Rejection, I personally believe, is is a pandemic across the earth where people are just constantly feeling excluded and cut out and don't belong and just and different and that is a work the enemy to to basically reject you but the sad thing is if a child is conceived out of wedlock very often what happens from the womb so there's there's the society and people can actually reject the child literally from the womb And that child can live under that cloud of rejection their whole lives long. Jen and I have said, you know, we've got three daughters and a son. And we said years ago, I mean, God forbid that, you know, I mean, we shouldn't even say that. I hope that our children get married and then produce offspring. We we really, that is our hope. But we said if if it had to happen... That, that they conceive a child out of wedlock, we would choose to love that child, to accept that child, and even to celebrate that child, no matter how difficult the circumstances are under which that child was conceived. Because Jen and I have said, we do not want any of our children or grandchildren to re- live under the cloud of rejection that so many people experience. God can redeem and, and would would some of the parents who conceived the child need to repent of, of, of doing things that are not according to God's plan? Absolutely. But we will not reject the child. We will celebrate the child because this Bible, my Bible says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. There isn't a child on this earth that has been conceived that God didn't know about and that God doesn't have a plan for. Amen. And so this is a deeply personal thing. We're talking about the call of Jeremiah, you know, uh, I mean, let me try and think. Gee, 2,600 years ago. But if you can get in your soul the words of the Lord before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I want to just park there. I knew you. Folks, when God says, I knew you, that knowing is a complete knowing. He knows you better than you would ever know yourself. You know, we live in a, in a generation that is crying out for identity. I mean, time and time again, we get in our Victory Weekend, Victory Training next, uh, next Saturday, one of the most significant sessions is a session on identity. Time and time again, when we speak to people after Victory Training and say, what ministered to you the most? They say, identity. We live in a generation that is crying out for identity. Now that speaks to the previous generation that has not shaped this generation's identity. How come young people are crying out, who am I? 
etc. so much. It's because the parents, one of the main things that parents are meant to do with their children is to shape their identity, is speak to them who they are, speak to them their worth, speak to them their gifting and their strengths and their abilities and help to shape and form them. If you haven't, if your parents haven't, please forgive them. Amen? God wants to, God will, and let me tell you, this is what He wants to do. But if you want to find yourself, people, I mean, it's amazing. I, ah, I can think of a thousand stories. I won't go into them. But if you want to find out who you are, folks, turn to your Father in heaven who made you. Bill Johnson says, you cannot afford to think any thought about yourself that your Father in heaven doesn't think about you. My Bible says, before I formed you in the womb, God knew you. If you want to know who you are, your destiny, your calling, your purpose, all things the world is crying out for. Any, any you know, message on destiny and purpose, man, it has like a thousand likes and watches, etc. on social media. Folks, get with God. He made you. He shaped you. He knows your strengths, your weaknesses, your talents, your abilities, your desires, your hopes, your dreams. Your, your, your intellectual abilities, your physical abilities. He knows you. He made you. Get with God. Let your Father in heaven shape your identity. Don't be shaped by others. Amen. This is so significant. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I love the word consecrated. I was trying to think, how do you... It means to be set apart. Okay? But I'll tell you an example that most of you can identify with. Now, I'm a good South African guy. Which means that I enjoy the occasional braai, okay? As often as possible, but I do. And one of the things that, you know, sometimes when you're braaiing and you're putting the meat or sausage on the, on, the, on, on the fire, you know, sometimes there's a little piece of sausage or meat that kind of is hanging on by a thread, you know? It's asking. It's, it's calling to be consecrated. Do you know those pieces of meat? It says, consecrate me unto you. And so, you know, you don't want that little piece of meat to fall through the grid and just get burnt in the coals. So you gently, with your tongs or with your hands or whatever, you gently just pull it apart and you just put it on the side to cool down a little bit, okay? And you watch it and you're watching other people around the braai that they don't steal your consecrated piece of meat, okay? And, oh my goodness, you know, sometimes, I'll confess, sometimes it's happened, whatever, you turn around and you whatever and you go get to a drink or you something and you come back and your consecrated meat is gone, okay? Who took my piece of meat, okay? Now, I'm sure an example we can all identify with. Folks, your Bible says, before you were born, I consecrated you. The Lord has put you apart before you were born. You know, there's all the other meat, and then there's you. You on the side. You, and, and I, and I want to say this. You know, I got so frustrated many years ago. I heard somebody preaching, and I don't even know who it was, where or when. And they made this big point that, you know, everybody says that you're special, but you're not special. Show me in the Bible where it says you are special. Okay, there's no chapter and verse that says you are special. Guys, you know, I read this. Before you were born, I consecrated. Before you were born, I set you apart. You know what? When I set that little piece of meat apart, that meat is special to me. Okay? I mean, in my dictionary, my, I, that's special. I find it hard not to say to you biblically, if I look at what the Lord is saying here, that you are special. Now, I'm not just saying just for any reason. I'm saying because this 
is, is, is I believe, the essence and, and what the Lord is saying in these words to Jeremiah. You are special. You are set apart. And folks, being set apart, literally, you can. Consecrated means holy. You were set apart for Him. Remember, not just set apart for anything. You were set apart for Him. He delights in you. And He said to you, before time began, He said, this one is mine. I'm putting her aside. I'm putting him aside for my purposes, for my glory. He's going to bring, she's going to bring glory to me through their lives. Amen. And if we will cooperate with God and work with God, we will see that come to pass in our lives. So let's go on. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Okay. Um, if you read those 52 chapters just so often, Jeremiah is weeping. And folks, I, lo- I like to say that, that real men do cry. And I mean, I'm sure Josh won't mind me saying this. Josh decided to, you know, last Sunday, instead of coming to church, to run down to Durban. I don't, I don't know if he thought there was maybe a Good church service down there or something. I don't, there was a bride. <laughs> okay. Anyway, comrades, and, and it was great. We, we, we greeted them en route um, as they were getting going in Maritzburg. Josh said when he finished, he went down on his knees after he crossed the, the finish line. went down on his knees and he just thanked the Lord. And he said he got up there and he was just crying. He didn't expect it. He didn't plan to. He wasn't thinking there's a camera on me. I don't even know if there was a camera on him. He just cried. I want to submit to you, real men cry. An authentic woman cry. Folks, Jeremiah is an example of a man that had God called to go through incredible hardship. And we're going to look at it a little bit. And folks, it's all right to cry. Because when tears go out, healing goes in. When tears go out, healing goes in. I totally get there's a time and a place to do that. Okay? But don't hold back tears. Sometimes it is just the godly response to do. You know, Jenny went through a season in her life many years ago. It was about three months. That every time she came into worship in the church service, she would just cry. She literally at one stage thought there was something wrong. She went for counseling, like, is there something wrong? And the person just said, it's just the Spirit of God. It's just what God is doing inside of you. And there are a thousand reasons why the Lord could cause you to cry. It could be healing. It could be that you are praying and interceding for something that you, 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 you may never know the side of eternity. But I'm just saying, let's not hold back the tears. But Jeremiah, among all the prophets of the Hebrew people, none was more heroic than Jeremiah. God wanted a man with a very gentle and tender heart for this unrewarding ministry of warning Israel of the impending Babylonian invasion. If they did not turn back to God, if they didn't turn back to God, Jeremiah fulfilled his calling with these sensitive qualities without hardening his heart. Folks, I want to submit to you, when you, when you can't cry or don't want to cry, and listen, not everybody cries. I, I totally get it. They are, I've spoken to a number of guys that said they haven't cried in about 30 years. I get it. Okay? But this is the thing. They're not trying to not cry. It's just, it doesn't happen that easily. Okay? And that's also fine. But there are times you feel things and you feel things deeply and that's okay. Okay? And sometimes 
you feel it and tears come out. Jeremiah fulfilled his calling with these sensitive qualities without hardening his heart. The key thing is, have you hardened your heart? Have you said, I will never go there again. I will not show emotion. I will not show weakness. I want to show you, tell you, crying is not weakness. Crying is true strength. Look what else. His 40-year ministry was a tremendous display of faithfulness and courage in the face of great discouragement, opposition, and small results. Okay, this side of eternity. What I wanted to put up, this I found so fascinating in the, in the, in the L215, Leadership 215 course. We looked at a course called Old Testament Survey. And what I loved about the course is we looked at the books in the Old Testament chronologically, i.e. as they happened um, on the calendar. Um, um, and, and the books are not arranged in that way. For example, the, the prophets... Uh, when were the prophets? Okay, when I talk about when were the prophets, these are the Old Testament prophets, the last 16 books of the Bible. Okay, in the middle there I've got prophets 16. There were 16 books. Um, actually, Lamentations is also in there, which is considered to be more uh, prophetic literature, not, prof uh, not <laughs> sorry, poetic, not prophetic. Okay, so I've got three columns. Let me just explain what they are. So that what I'm trying to highlight is the historical context, what was happening in history when these guys were going around uh, bringing uh, these prophetic messages, including Jeremiah. And so on the left column, I've got relative to the exile. The exile was the major historical event in the nation of, of Israel, where the Babylonians invaded them, smashed up Jerusalem, and took them in exile, took them, not all of them, basically took any, the rich folks, etc., all, they left a lot of the poor folk back in Israel, took anybody who was educated, the priests and, and royalty and uh, any well-to-do person back to Babylon. And so that is the exile. And so there were a number of prophets, there were actually 10, before the exile. And Jeremiah is included in that list. He's, they're trying to warn the people. And a lot of the prophets, they overlapped in terms of their ministries. It wasn't one after the other. They overlapped God called a number of prophets to try and tell the people, listen, turn back to me, otherwise there are going to be consequences. And so there were 10 before, during exile, there were two prophets, and then afterwards, I think there were four. Okay, what I've got on the right-hand column here is when more or less, now this is not the exact dates, this is the centuries, okay, I'm trying to mark off the centuries. Now remember, BC counts down to, uh, to when Christ came. Okay, so before there's about 200, 250 years, the 800s to the 600s, okay. And then during, it was, it was 70 years, and Jeremiah prophesied that it would be 70 years, okay. And uh, that was sort of, well, it was actually, I think, 604, 605 through to, I don't know, 537 or something like that. I, f I forget the exact, but it's sort of the 600, 500s, that, that zone, B.C., and then after the exile, there were four prophets, the 500 to 400. And then from 400, for 400 years, there was, it's known as the silent years. There was no uh, writings that are recorded in scripture before the next prophet was John the Baptist that arrived on the scene. So those 400 years known as the silent years. So that's just giving you historical context where Jeremiah is in history in the Bible. Okay, And here's the, name of the, the, the names of the prophets. Now what I've done here, I've listed them in chronological order. 
This is, if you actually want to read uh, the, the, that last half of the Old Testament chronologically, this is how you would read it. So Joel is actually um, one of the oldest. Um, 800s, the 800s he, he was ministering. It was Joel, Jonah, Hosea, Amos, Micah. Isaiah is over there. He's the first listed in the Bible, but, not, but it's not listed, chrono, listed chronologically in Scripture. Isaiah, Zephaniah, Nahum, and Jeremiah. There he is. He was literally just before the Babylonians invaded. He was right at the end. Major backsliding. Far from God as a nation, etc. And that's the time he ministered. And then during there was Daniel and Ezekiel. That was when they were in exile. You know Daniel was definitely in Babylon. And after we have Obadiah, Zechariah, Haggai, and Malachi, okay, and as people often joke about Malachi, he was an Italian prophet, it's Malachi, okay, no, it's Malachi, okay, and he was the last in the Old Testament, it is the last book of the Old Testament, but he was also the last prophet, so that, I found that so helpful, just getting the historical context of these guys, okay, so let's go on, what I want to share with you, that Jeremiah resembled and foreshadowed Jesus Christ more than any other Old Testament prophet, how did he do this? Modeling Jesus as the suffering servant. Okay, Jesus suffered on our behalf. Today, Jesus is reigning victorious, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's not a suffering servant anymore, but he modeled suffering. And Jeremiah, if you look at his life, you know, especially like Isaiah 53, which, which Isaiah prophesies about the suffering Jesus would go through. Many Hebrew uh, scholars actually say, no, 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 that's talking about Jeremiah. The reason is, is that Jeremiah's life had so much suffering and it models very closely Jesus's um, suffering that he went through. And, and, you know, I'm challenged by this. I'm like, yes, we want Victoria, the victorious life, absolutely come to victory training. But, you know, there are some times for Jesus that there's suffering that we go through. I, I haven't been keen to put up my hand for that but as i've been through some stuff i'm like lord it is a privilege to suffer on your behalf let's just look at what jeremiah's life looked like comparing to jesus both had a message for israel and the world both came from a high tradition jeremiah from a priest prophet background i told you that and christ from the divine kingly plains both condemned this commercialization commercialism of temple worship and did so in a similar way remember jesus made a whip and chased out the money changes out the temple because the temples mean to be a place of prayer for the nations amen both were accused of political treason both were tried persecuted and imprisoned i mean his imprisonment he was chucked down a well a cistern right down there i mean what a place to be imprisoned both foretold the destruction of the temple, both wept over Jerusalem, both forcefully condemned the priests of their day, both were rejected by their family. Must have been quite a thing for him as coming from the priestly line. When he was speaking and telling these priests, hey, they need to be, come back to God, he was speaking to his own family and friends. I mean, that must have been quite a thing for him to do. So, quite amazing man of God, this. What I want to share with you is... We looked at this verse. This is the call. Okay, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. But this knowledge, 
that you are not a mistake, that your Father in Heaven has been thinking and contemplating about your life, about your circumstances, about your geography, about your history, for since before time began. This is not a new concept. Look at how Paul the Apostle in the book of Galatians describes his calling. Galatians 1, 15 and 16. But when he who had set me apart before I was born. Hey Paul, have you been reading Jeremiah here? I'm sure he was. Can you see how biblical ideas carry through from the Old Testament to the New Testament? Folks, this idea that, that you've been called from before time began. Folks, we need to get this in our souls. Because the enemy is constantly trying to tell you, you're a mistake, you're not meant to be here, you don't belong, you know, you somehow are out. Galatians, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Can you see how this, it, it goes from being set apart to his calling. He was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, Paul was. But it's linked into this whole concept of, I was set apart to this from the womb. Amen? Some of you are sitting here and, and you're in education. Folks, you're not in education by mistake. God saw you being in education from the womb. Some of you are in business. Some of you, I mean, whatever. God set you apart from the womb. I want to share this with you now. Because these verses, if we just go back, these verses say, before I formed you, I knew you. Okay? Folks, we're talking about God knowing. Now, when we say God knowing, this is God we're talking about. Do you know how much knowing God knows? Have you thought about how much knowing we're talking about here? <laughs> so part of the, the, the L215 course is courses on um, systematic theology where we look at the attributes of God. And I've loved unpacking various attributes of God. And I want to tell you, I've always thought God is kind of godlike, but I've been super surprised at just how godlike God actually is. He's more godlike than you think. You think he's like seriously big, like big God kind of thing. He's bigger than you think. He's more than you think. It is quite astonishing. So when it talks about he knew you, and also Paul said, speaks here being set apart before I was born, this concept of God knowing him. We're applying it to you. We're applying it to Jeremiah. We're applying it to Paul. They have such a deep sense of God knows them. And we want to tap into this knowing. I want to just highlight to you how much knowing God knows. Okay? He knows more than you think he knows. Okay? God is omniscient. Now, that's the big theological term for he's all-knowing. Okay? You can impress people when you're having lunch today. You say, you know God is omniscient. Uh, what? Uh, yes, omniscient. He knows everything. He knows you. Um, uh, this is also from the notes. Um, he has infinite awareness, understanding and insight, possessing universal or complete knowledge. Wayne Gooden said, God fully knows himself and all things actual and possible in one simple and eternal act. And I love what A.W. Tozer says. God knows all that can be known. And this he knows instantly and with a fullness of perfection that includes every possible item of knowledge concerning everything that exists, 
or could have existed anywhere in the universe at any time in the past or that may exist in the centuries or ages yet unborn. Because God knows all things perfectly, He knows no thing better than the other thing, but all things equally well. He never discovers anything. He's never surprised and He's never amazed. Wow! Wow, folks! You are just contemplating the greatness of God. Folks, that knowing is what Jeremiah and Paul the Apostle are tapping into when they say, He knew me. When we say God knows you, folks, He really does. And if you have got identity issues, folks, where are you going to go? Where are you going to knock? Please, can we embark on this journey of saying, Father, I want to know me from you. I'm tired of being shaped by society. I'm tired of people saying, you this, you not to this, you too short, you too whatever. I want to be shaped by you. Folks, this is profound. I want to tell you, it is fundamental that you discover your identity in Christ. It is fundamental for your strength, for your virtue, for your well-being, for your walk. It affects every day of your life. It is so significant. I want to go on. These verses Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. We know it, we love it, we quote it, we pray it, we put it on our walls. We've got it on our wall in our lounge. For I know the plans I have for you. There's this knowing. The omniscient God. Okay, when we talk about plans, folks, He knows it completely. He knows every detail of the plans for your life. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Um, I've signed up long ago for those plans, okay? Don't know about you. I don't want the enemy's plans for my life. I'm signing up for God's plans. But how do we respond to this? How do we respond to the reality that He knows me? He's known me before I was born. That He has set me apart because of this knowledge, He's consecrated me. Verse 12, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Folks, this is our response. What do you do with this fact that God is omniscient? And folks, He's not... It's great that you know He's omniscient out there, but do you know that He's omniscient about you? Has it hit you that He really knows you and He knows the plans He has for you? What do you do about it? You know, for some people it's like, oh, well, He's God. I'm going to sit back and see it come to pass. Other people say, God, I'm going to take a hold of this. I'm going to take a hold of this. You know, Bill Johnson says, some things God gives you freely by His grace. But there are other things that you have got to go after. And, and sometimes I wish, <laughs> some of the things that I wish, I need, that, that I know I need to go after, He just gave it by grace. I don't know how in His omniscience, why He decides I'm giving this by grace and that I am not. But I'm telling you folks, going after God is so significant. I'm going to read these verses, verse 12 to 14. This is how we respond to this. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. 
I will be found by you, declares the Lord. How many are provoked and saying, God, I need to do more seeking. Yeah. I need to press into you more, Lord. Because I'm telling you, just as much as God is keen for, for His plans for your life, there's an enemy of our souls that wants exactly the opposite for you. We cannot relax and resign and sit back and just allow the enemy to steal from us, folks. Yeah. We need to press into the call of God for our lives. Jeremiah says in verse 6 to 7, Then I said, Our oh Lord God. You know, I was looking at, the, at the, the original languages here. This Our Lord God literally is just a... It's, it's, it's an expression where he actually doesn't have words to say. God has just told him how he's called him from the womb and knows him. And he's just like... It's an expression that has no words. It's the, the, trans, the Bible translators actually don't know how to... It's, it's just like... Oh my goodness. Oh wow. Oh, I'm, I'm overcome. I can't believe this. It's just like, wow, this is amazing. Remember, he's 17, 18 years old. Behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. <laughs> Verse 7, but the Lord said to me, do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you, will, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Folks, when God calls us, folks, He doesn't call us because we already have this amazing ability. And very often, when you, when you get a sense of God's calling, you look at your own gifting, strengths, abilities, and God's calling you there, and you feel like your abilities, your capabilities, your talents are here, there's this divine gap. And folks, that is why this is God's own stuff. Yeah. I want to tell you, if you have a sense of the call of God in your life, there's always a sense of, I can't do this. I need God. I want to tell you, that's a good place to be. Because yeah. if we sense we can fulfill the call of God in our own strengths, that just results in spiritual pride and arrogance. And then we mess it all up for everybody else. And people get hurt around us. There's a, I hope you have this tension with a sense of the call of God in your life that I have a lot of shortcomings in fulfilling this. That is a good place to be. Does God not see this? Not true. He says, I'm only a youth. How many of you, and I may won't, won't ask for a show of hands, the sense of being young or too young has been a factor in your life and probably all of us at some point you've been in a place where you say I just am feeling too young I don't have the experience I'm out of my depth there we go Einstein's putting up his hand oh he's putting up the signboard <laughs> um, folks it's okay to recognize oh my goodness I have some shortcomings here is God unfazed but look what he says do not say, I'm only a youth. I'm interested that he says, do not say. Folks, this is reality, folks. Words carry power. The Bible says there's life and death in the power of the tongue. The Lord says, don't say that. He's not denying the truth that he may be too young. He said, don't speak that over your life. Don't speak all your fears and apprehensions about the call of God in your life. I can't do it. It's too far. I'm Okay, some of us are, are, are saying, I'm too old. 
I, I just love, the enemy loves that. You know, before I was 40, I always felt I was too young to, to you know, for whatever. It's crazy. After I turned 40, now all I hear the whole time, you're too old for that. You're too old for that. I mean, according to the enemy, you're never the right age. Okay, so just get over that. Okay, don't speak that over your life. You're too young or you're too old. You'll never be the perfect age according to the devil. Okay, do not say I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go and whatever I command you, you shall speak. God's not phased by that. I mean, you are sitting here. I'm too Zulu. I'm too English. I'm too female. I'm too male. I'm too short. I'm too whatever. God says, so what? Doesn't change my call. Doesn't change my plans. Still, go do it. Go and fulfill my call upon your life. Amen. Lord said the same thing to Timothy. I love how these truths follow Old Testament, New Testament. Paul writing to Timothy said, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. You know, folks, his people has had this vision to plant one foot in the camps, one foot in the community for, for 32 years. We started Genonite, his people in Cape Town, in 1988 with this vision to reach the leaders of tomorrow that are on the campuses of South Africa today. I know so many people who've come. I remember there was this couple when we were at, at His People in P, which we also helped to plant many years ago in the early 90s. And in the early 90s, there was a lot of violence in South Africa. KZN was at war between the Encarta Freedom Party and the ANC. People were getting killed every day, getting necklaced. It was hectic stuff going on. And many people saw no hope for this country and wanted to emigrate. And there was this family that came to our church in PE. And they were planning to emigrate. They were planning to go to Canada. And they came to our church and they saw all these young people. And I want to say it. And at our campus ministry in P, there were young black people. And this was a white couple. And they looked at the news every night and were like, oh my goodness, this country is going up in flames. And they came to our church and they saw all these amazing black young people. And they said, we cannot leave this country. We cannot. These young people give us hope. The scripture says, set an example for the believers in speech, in love, in faith, and in purity. I want to say what it was. It was a white couple in PE in the early 90s that looked at black young people that were setting an example for them in what? In speech, in life, in love, and in faith. And this couple said, we are not leaving South Africa. We want to build with these people. We feel called. We feel one with these people. This country is not going down the tubes. It's not going down the toilet. We are inspired by you. Young people, I want to tell you, you know, we have some amazing young people. I want to tell you, our staff, Amu and um, Babawa, we meet weekly on Tuesdays. I can't tell you how often Jenny and I drive home saying, praise God for these two amazing young people. We are inspired. We are inspired young people by your example in speech, in life, in faith, and in purity. Don't underestimate you just rocking at church. You're just doing media. You're just helping with ushering. You inspire us, folks. You give us hope for the future. Amen? We need you as much as I know you need us. I get it. Amen? It's beautiful what God is doing in our midst. Verse 8. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. 
to deliver you, declares the Lord. It's part of the call of Jeremiah. The next thing the Lord says to him, do not be afraid. Is there fear that the enemy can bring? Absolutely. You know, one of the number one things that God sends us to dispel fear is his presence. Why should Jeremiah not fear? Why should you not fear? Why should you not fear the call of God upon your life? And that God is going to use you to be a prophet to the nations. He's got, he is and he wants to use every one of us to impact nations. Amen? Why? Because I am with you. Folks, knowing God's presence is meant to dispel fear. Walking with a knowledge of God's omniscience and sometimes walking in the manifest presence of God is how we meant to walk. Why? Because it dispels fear. It doesn't just dispel fear. It says, for I am with you to deliver you. To deliver you. He's literally going to uh, cast out a spirit of fear if we will walk in the presence of God. Verse 9, And the Lord put out His hand, touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. Folks, a prophet is called to speak to the nations. Here God is promising him that he will give him everything he needs to be able to do the prophet thing. There are so many of us here. You are sitting here and I want to assure you what God's called you to do, he gives you the ability to do. I mean, I remember hearing this from Stella about her husband. Now, her husband... Um, is in the legal fraternity. Cass has an amazing ability to remember legal stuff that he needs to go into court. Stella said he will, he will go through a whole lever arch file of, 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 of legal stuff and when he goes into court the next day, it's there and he can pull it from his memory files. Folks, that's an amazing ability. Amen? How many of you have an ability where you say, sure, Lord, this is from you. What's Jeremiah's example? God says, I will give you the words. I will put the words in your mouth. Okay? Cousin Stella can sort out their differences afterwards. Okay? <laughs> okay? Stella, I'm sorry. You said that years ago. Okay? Forgive me. Okay? If I'm exposing your husband's strengths right here in front of everybody. Okay? <laughs> Verse 10. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Folks, there are four words here, verbs, about breaking down, and there are four words about building up. Yeah. Folks, the reality is, sometimes before we can build, we need to, we need to clear some things. You know, if you buy a piece of land, before you can build there, you have to clear the land. You have to get all the bush and trees off there so you can build your house or office or whatever you want to do. I want to say, this speaks about four times about that he needs to break before he can build. We love building. We just want to build. But sometimes you can't build because you're building over on top of the bush and the tree. Clear the bush first. And I'm talking in your lives. Endings, nestle endings, sometimes we need to work on closing the previous chapter before we open the new chapter. Is it easy? No. Is it messy? Yes. Is it hard? Yes. I, I don't like endings. I'll just be, con be, to be honest with you. I wish we could all just stay happily together forever. But God is going to move you on from this church. We're going to send you as arrows of deliverance to the nations. I will pray with all my heart 
Do I love doing it? No. Do I believe we need to do it? Absolutely. Is it part of God's call on our church, on every nation, as an apostolic ministry to send people into the nations? Yes. Do I do it by faith? Yes. Amen. We need to embrace this. And then finally, verse 11 and 12, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch, verse 12. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. I am watching over my word to perform it. Isaiah says, as the rain falls down from heaven and doesn't return to it, so is my word that will fulfill that for which I send it. Jeremiah says, I'm watching over my word to perform it. Folks, there are promises from God about God's plans for your life that are inside your heart. Folks, God is watching. There's an expectation in heaven. All the angels are saying, the Father's watching. When are we going to bring those seeds? There are seeds inside of you. God's wanting to jump. He's watching over them to perform them. God's plans. And from before time began, He has planned this. He's given you promises and he's watching over them to perform it. Are we okay to say, God, I embrace your plans. I embrace your word over my life. I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. Folks, the call of Jeremiah is not just about Jeremiah. I believe it's essential for every single believer to walk with a sense of this is God's plan for my life. Jen and I got married and for nine years I worked as an engineer. I had a deep sense that I was making a difference for the kingdom of God in my engineering. I was providing and designing engineering services for thousands of people who didn't have water, who didn't have sewerage, etc. I believe that stuff is bringing the kingdom of God into communities. Because having sewerage running down the streets is not kingdom. I don't, that's not kingdom. Let's get the stuff out of the way and get it treated i had such a strong sense i'm bringing kingdom do i believe i'm bringing kingdom now absolutely that is how god wants us to live that is how god wants us to live so can we close and and, and i want to i want to pray do you mind standing with me as we pray I want to I want to just go back to the my opening slide or this slide. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Father, I pray for every single one of us, Lord. God I want to break off firstly any any sense on anybody here that they are somehow a mistake. I break it off in Jesus' name. You are not a mistake. You were born because God willed you to be born. You were born because of the volition of your Father in heaven. And God can redeem any circumstances around your conception. And we say, Father, do that. 
But Father, I pray that for every single person who is listening to my voice in this room, who hears this on, on SoundCloud, on YouTube, on the audio files we send, Father God, may they hear your call. May they hear the words from you, Father, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God, may we live with the reality that we are known by you. And Father, I pray for every one of us that we would tap into that knowing. We would tap into what you know about us, how you see us, how you created us, shaped us. Father, our identity would be shaped by our Father in heaven. We will not entertain any other thoughts except the thoughts of our Father in heaven, Lord. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Lord, we have been set apart. Father, when we say we surrender our lives to you, Father, that is coming in line with how you see us, who you've called us to be. You always call us to be set apart unto your purposes, Lord. And God, we say yes to being consecrated to you. And Lord, as, as, as it says in, in, in Jeremiah, sorry, I just want to go to the verses um, in um, these verses. It says over here, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. God, I pray for a divine seeking, for a, a godly, holy passion lord that we would be god seekers father we need to know what you think about us we need to walk in that calling father this planet is changed by every believer walking in your calling for our lives lord and god that comes by seeking you lord some things you just give it to us by grace and some things you call us to seek you to pursue you to go after these things father and Lord, until we go to be with you in heaven, God, our job is to seek you for your plans. What kind of plans? These plans, plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us a hope and a future. God, may we be hot in our pursuit after you. May we be like one of those heat-seeking missiles, Lord, that is just going after you. God, may we never tire from seeking you for your plans for our lives, Lord. May we not settle for second best or third best or nothing at all, God. You've called us because you know us. And God, we enter into that knowing. We enter into being known. God, we know you know us. We want to be known by you, Lord. And we want to know you, Lord. Take us on the journey. Take us on the pursuit. We say yes. To this pursuit, Lord. Thank you that you will be found if we pursue you with this heart. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit our website at www.hispeoplepmb.co.za. And for more of our messages, visit our YouTube and SoundCloud channels, as well as other podcast platforms. If you would like to contact us, please email us at hispeoplepmb at gmail.com or send a message to 061-452-0877. We hope to see you soon. God bless you.